We are now in week three of a four-week sermon series that we're doing on Bishop Robert Barron's book, This Is My Body. Um, and I think many of you have already gotten a copy of it. I think we got, uh, gave out uh, for $2 uh, over a, a thousand of the books, and I hope you've had a chance to read it. Uh, we first looked at the Eucharist from the angle of it being a sacred meal, which it is. It is the most sacred of all meals. This is the meal that was instituted by our Lord Jesus uh, on the night in which he was betrayed, the meal of eternal life. And we also looked at this uh, sacrament as a sacrifice, which it is, the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice where Jesus shed his blood for us and his body broken for us. And we have looked at it, uh, and we'll look at it a little bit today and then next Sunday as what it is, as the real presence of Jesus, really physically present with us. And that should make all the difference in the world. That should change whatever's gone wrong in our lives. That should put us back on the right track when we consume Jesus into us, knowing that He is our God, our Lord and our Savior. That should make all the difference in the world. Okay, Father Steve, why is it? Because 70% of Catholics do not believe it. That's why we're doing this. That's why the whole church is doing this Eucharistic revival to remind us what we all already know. This is the source and summit of our faith. As Vatican II has said, this is who we are because this is who Jesus is. And I'm going to look at it a little differently because I once met a woman who was as close to Jesus in this life as I have ever seen. I used, as many of you know, I've spent most of my 37 plus years uh, in the priesthood uh, visiting nursing homes. There are going to be some slides that scroll through that are some of the images from my last couple of years in uh, doing nursing home ministries where I have met some of God's most precious children. In the early 1990s, I met a woman at a nursing home. She'd been there for about five years. Uh, her name was Mrs. Hill. I think her uh, first name was Edith, who was more important to me as a teacher than all the professors I've ever had in five different seminaries. Because she wasn't theoretically talking about Jesus. Jesus was alive in her. And let me just tell you a little bit about Mrs. Hill. Uh, she should have, been, should have been bitter and angry and confused. She should have been, like the ones we sang about in the psalm, walking through the valley of the shadow of death. She should have been, because she was in the valley of the shadow of death. No question. She was early 90s then. The shadow of death couldn't touch her because of the joy of the Lord that lived within her, Jesus. 
She was confined to a wheelchair. Her back was, was bad. Her knees were bad. Her eyes were bad. Her ears were bad. Her joints and bones were bad. Her heart was bad. Her mind was bad. Everything was going wrong in her life. And she was confined to a wheelchair. And no one came to see her, ever. You'll see in some of these students that I took with me to nursing homes. It's important that we teach students how to be compassionate. That's something you have to teach. You just can't assume that your children are going to grow up to be compassionate. They learn from you first and from their teachers. So no one came to see Mrs. Hill. She was all alone. She had no family. She had no friends left in the world. They'd all died. She had no friends from the old neighborhood. They'd all died. She had no friends from work. They'd all died. She'd outlived everybody. No one came to visit her. She was totally alone, stuck in a wheelchair most of the day. And for five years that I went on Sunday afternoons, taking my guitar, sometimes saying mass for them, I never heard her say one sad or angry or negative word. She had a smile on her face. She was always smiling. She was always humming or singing a hymn. She was always had her dog-eared Bible open, reading from it, or saying the rosary. They were always in her lap, in her wheelchair. She spent all day long going from room to room. Her whole life, her whole world consisted of one small little room, a short hallway, a nurse's station at one end, a little dining hall at the other end, and that was it. Her whole life was reduced to that. Totally alone, left to herself. But she wasn't alone. She wheeled her little wheelchair into room after room, and she talked to people. She sang to them. She read the Bible to them. She prayed with them and for them. She poured out the love of the Lord Jesus on everyone she came across. She taught me what a grateful heart can do. The very first words she said to me when I met her were, Oh, Father, I'm so blessed. I'm so grateful. Those were also the last words she spoke to me before she died. And I got to do her funeral. She said, Oh, Father, I'm so blessed. I'm so grateful. She learned how very early to count blessings. Most of us learn how to list our grievances. We go to God and we gripe to Him. We list our grievances to God. She didn't. She counted the blessings she had. One big blessing. Jesus Christ, her Lord. She had, this is the point I want to make today, she had consumed Jesus so much in her life from the sacrament to reading His Word to gathering with His people to singing His praises praying the rosary. She had so consumed Jesus that He had consumed her. He consumed her heart. Consumed her mind. Consumed her emotions. 
you looked at her and you were looking at Jesus. She was in the valley of the shadow of death and it couldn't touch her because she knew the rest of that verse, Psalm 22, verse 4. I hear people all the time, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. I'm in the valley of the shadow. Finish the verse. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. She knew the one who was with her. There wasn't a demon in hell who could touch her. They tried. It didn't work. She taught me more than any of the other professors I've ever had that a grateful heart, gratitude, unlocks the door to let Jesus in. Let Him write in. When we are grateful to Him, He comes right in. When we come to His table that He set for us, He gives Himself entirely to us, not little bits and pieces. You get all of them. Okay, Father, how come I don't feel it? What opens the door of your heart to Jesus? A grateful heart, gratitude, counting blessings. She counted them, Mrs. Hill did. In, in our book, Bishop Barron says very clearly that, that we participate in the divine life of God by consuming Him. And when we let Him in, He consumes us. We become Him. We become one with Him. We have to believe it for that to happen. You know, we have looked for, this is now the third week, at how the world, is a, the world has been a broken place forever from the beginning. What we see happening in the news today is horrendous, it's evil, it's demonic, but it's nothing new. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, decided they knew better than God and ate from the forbidden tree, letting their pride and Satan convince them to do that, they started it rolling. The earth got knocked off its foundation. Bishop Barron talks a lot about that. And since that time, it's gotten worse. It only took one generation. Adam and Eve's two sons, first two sons. Cain killed his brother Abel because of a jealous heart and pride. It only took one generation to go from one little disobedience to murder. That's what sin does. But from that time, God has been active in what Bishop Barron calls a rescue operation. I call it a rescue mission. He's not going to let us perish. He's not going to let go of you. You parents who are praying for your children, He's not going to let go of your children. You grandparents praying for your kids and your grandkids and great Jesus is not going to let go of them. It's like He's not going to let go of you. That's what His rescue mission is. He sent covenants to be with His people. He sent the covenant to Noah saying he would never again wipe out the world, the world by the flood. And what did people do? They got worse. He called Abraham, entered into a covenant with Abraham. Abraham passed the test and said he would be the father of a great nation. But his offspring failed the test, just like they're failing it today. He gave a covenant with Moses, the Ten Commandments, and his people failed again. He sent 
covenants to David and Solomon, promising to be their God if they would obey and come to him. And they failed again. He sent prophets over and over calling people back to the covenant and people failed again. We continue failing and God finally, the culmination of his rescue mission was when he took human flesh and came to us in his son Jesus who on the night that he was handed over to death, to betrayal and to his arrest, he instituted the sacrament of his body and blood. What this table is about is, look at it this way, when we walked in just a minute ago singing praises, that's Palm Sunday. We're waving the palm branches, singing Hosanna to the sun. We march into Jerusalem. We come in to his table and we gather with him and his apostles here at the altar of sacrifice. I was talking to someone last night after the Mass here about all the great paintings in the world that show a priest at the altar with the, the bread and the wine in front of him. And right behind him is Jesus at the Last Supper with the apostles gathered around, with the angels looking down upon them, with the blood flowing from the cross straight down into purgatory to rescue the souls that are perishing. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What that means is He's eternal with God. There is no time with Him. So when we come into His presence at this table, He is here. We're gathered in front of it, looking at Him and His apostles. And there, Jesus very specifically at this last meal, when He said, take, eat, this is My body. Drink this all me. This is My blood. This is what is going to be broken for you and shed for you. He was explaining to them and to us exactly what was going to happen the next day at Golgotha on Good Friday when he died on the cross. And it, everything went dark for three hours. And the demons thought they had won. God's rescue mission was played out just a couple of days later on Easter. There is a direct connection between the sacrifice that He gives us at this Mass to the sacrifice He gave for us on the cross. They're inseparable. And when you consume Him, He is inseparable from you too. Remember that this rescue mission is all about you and me. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to continue fighting it out giving in to the temptations of the evil one and being powerless, we take into ourselves at this Mass more power than we will ever need in the spiritual realm. We've got Jesus in us. As I have been saying for about seven months now, don't underestimate that. Remember who is in you and who is with you. When you go out the doors, you have got within you power. I'm always willing when people come after Mass to say, can I have your blessing? Well, of course you can, but remember the blessing that's within you. So much greater. This is God's rescue mission for us. And He's not going to let go of you. He's got you. So we believe in our hearts. That's what we do. We're a people of belief, of faith. 
Now, a belief is just a mental agreement and assent that something is true. Do more than that when you come to this table. Know that it's true. It is true. John chapter 6, which is a big part of the last chapter of the book, tells that. Jesus gets into a long discourse about my, my bread. This is the bread of life. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. You eat this bread. This is my flesh. You drink this wine. It's my blood. You eat and drink of me. And you pass over from death into life. You're really eating me. That was so discouraging to those first followers of Jesus. Now think of this. He almost lost his whole church. When he said, this is really my body. This is really my blood. They said, oh, it's too hard for us. We're out of here. They sound a lot like us, don't they? He lost most of them. They went their own way. And Jesus went to his apostles. I tear up when I, when I come to this slide because I can't. Jesus goes to his apostles and says to them, are you also going to leave me? Let that hang in your mind for a minute. Are you also going to leave me? And Peter said, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and have come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So where would we go? Indeed, we come here and He's here. We're here at His invitation. He walked in with you when you came in. He's going to walk with you when you come down to the front. He's going to greet you down in the front. He Himself and come into you. Because He's the one who said, take this all of you and eat of it. This is My body. Drink this all of you. This is My blood. I remember dear Mrs. Hill. There's no demon in the world that could have touched her. She believed that with her whole heart. She lived it. She did it. And at the end, she left this world saying, I'm so grateful. I'm so blessed. She did add one thing after that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.